I remind you that we have taken a several weeks long break from our series in the book of Ephesians, the title of which is on the screen behind me, Your Place in God's Plan. And we've taken that break for a couple of reasons. The first is that we left off at verse 28 of Ephesians chapter 4, which says, if you'll take a look, he who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. That last phrase, having something to share with those in need. I've called that having margin in our lives and in our resources. We seek margin in our resources, which include not just treasure, not just money, but also time and talent. We seek margin in our treasure, our time, and our talent, not to hoard them, but to use for God's purposes, one of which, according to this verse, is to meet the needs of others. The second reason that we've taken a break is because we've come to that passage at a time of reflection for our church. As I mentioned earlier, we just celebrated this past Sunday our 10-year anniversary. And having been told in Ephesians 4.28 that we have in order to give, and in conjunction with our 10-year anniversary, I thought it good for us to be reminded that God has given us this ministry in order to meet the needs of others. That includes material needs, but most important, to meet their spiritual needs. Early in the life of our church, I did a series, the title of which you see at the top of the outline that was inserted in your program, A Full Service Church. That title was and is intentionally chosen to communicate that we want to be a church in which every member is a minister, everyone fully serving, and also that we want to be a church that offers a full range of ministries. Now, God has allowed us great progress on the first of those, every member serving the Lord, as we've been able to create a culture of service over these 10 years, resulting in 70 to 80% of our congregation being actively involved in ministry. And that sort of mindset, that kind of culture, results in, for example, ladies in our church, behind the scenes, not receiving any recognition, not seeking any recognition, but delivering encouragement packages to shut-ins along with a well-written and uplifting card. It results in one of our men spending many hours each week at the church office, printing the program that you have in your hand, the message outline, notebooks for Discovering God, notebooks for Community Institute, books for growth partners, maps for our events, and on and on it goes. We have nearly a full-blown print shop going on there. But it, but it only works because of faithful volunteer service for the Lord. There is much to do in the Lord's work, ministries that require being up front, but many, many more that are behind the scenes. If you'd like to know about where you can get plugged in, see the information center during our break. They can tell you about our community service ministry. Now, in our rented facilities, we have challenges at becoming full service in the second sense that I mentioned it, offering a full range of services in our community because we don't have a service or ministry center. 
And I've told you that we're actively working on obtaining a ministry center. I was told that I would hear this past Thursday on an offer that we have made on a ministry center, but I've not heard anything as yet. So as soon as I hear and we can get the ducks in a row, we'll let you know. But in any case, as I said at the beginning of this year, it's our goal to, by the end of 2011, for us to know what we're going to be doing in that regard related to a ministry center, at least for the near term. But whether we're in rented facilities or in those that we, that we own, the ministry that God has given us moves forward. And so this is a good time for us to be reminded regarding what it means to be a full-service church. And we have been bouncing through then the points in the outline that was inserted in your program over these last several weeks. If you missed any of those prior messages, those are, like all of our messages, at our website, and the website address is at the bottom of your outline. So please take a look at that outline so that you can see the definition of ministry of service that we've been using over these last several weeks in this mini-series of full-service church. We say there, service takes place when divine resources meet human needs through loving channels to the glory of God. And we've looked at the first three of those four principles in that definition. Service takes place with divine resources. And we've seen that, that word, the word that best summarizes the resources that God makes available to His servants is the word grace. We don't earn grace. We don't deserve grace. We receive it as God's loving gift, and then we share it with others. So I've told you, we in ministry then are conduits of God's resources. We are not cul-de-sacs. We are distributors, and we are not manufacturers. What we have to give whether meeting spiritual needs or physical needs comes ultimately from the gracious hand of God who has given it to us so that we can give to others. Ministry takes place with divine resources. And those divine resources meet, secondly, human needs. Service takes place when divine resources meet human needs. Three weeks ago, we saw that human needs are unlimited. And therefore, ministry opportunities are likewise unlimited. We saw that for all of the needs, though, that humans have, an unlimited list, the most important is to be reconciled to God through the cross of Christ. And therefore, our most important ministry is the ministry of the gospel. And then two weeks ago, we looked at the third of the four components in that definition, loving channels. Service takes place when divine resources meet human needs through loving channels. God provides the resources. God is the manufacturer. But He's chosen you and me to be His supply chain. The resources that God has given will only be distributed as He intended when those to whom they are given love others as He does. And we saw two weeks ago that in order to love, we have to see as God sees. We have to see others as God sees them. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 36, the Bible says of Jesus, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. We have to see others as God sees them. We have to see ourselves as God sees us. The truth is, we are no better than those that we serve. 
And in fact, but for the grace of God, so go we. To love others, I have to see others as God does, see myself as God does, and we saw two weeks ago, I must give as God gives. Love requires giving. Love requires sacrificial giving. And I noted then that there is no such thing as convenient love. Service takes place when divine resources meet human needs through loving channels. And today we're going to look at the fourth point of that definition. It's to be done to the glory of God. In order to love, we must see others as God sees them. And in order now to serve for the glory of God, I must see God as He is. In order for us to serve to the glory of God, we must see God as He is. The Bible's word to describe who God is, is the word glory. Glory refers to God's character. It refers to what He is like. And God is intent upon making His character known, displaying His character throughout His world. And that's why the Bible says famously things like this. The heavens declare what? The glory of God. And sin is defined in Scripture as failing to live up to the character of God, the glory of God. And so the Bible says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And friends, when time merges into eternity, the Bible tells us what the scene will be like as the redeemed gather before the Lord. John writes, I looked and I heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. In order for us to serve to the glory of God, we have to know what He is like. And the Bible teaches that He is glorious. His character is displayed throughout His world, and God deserves and desires to be praised for who He is. I want you to notice from this passage in Revelation 5 that this worship is focused on, indeed, the character of God, who He is. And theologians have a, a fancy term for that, like they have a fancy term for everything. 
This is called his intrinsic glory. God is to be worshipped because of his character, who he intrinsically is simply because he is God. He is therefore worthy of our worship. The reason for which we were saved is to worship God because he is worthy. Ephesians 1 tells us as much. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, but notice why, to the praise of his glorious grace. And then Ephesians 1 goes on to tell us, you were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. Notice why? To the praise of his glory. God's purpose is that he be worshipped, that he be praised for who he is and for what he has done. And so God displays his character, his glory in his world. It's God's desire to be worshipped by all of his creatures. He desires and he deserves that the response of his creation to all that he is and all that he has done be worship of him. God's character is his intrinsic glory. Worship, our response to his character... And here's the last big term, is ascriptive glory. We ascribe to God praise and honor, acknowledging the attributes, the character qualities that he has displayed in creation, in salvation, in his word. It's called ascriptive glory because greatness and honor are ascribed to him. That is, they're recognized and acknowledged and so the Bible says this, Ascribe to the Lord, O mighty ones, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Notice this, ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. John Piper has rightly said, that evangelism exists, evangelism, that is, seeking to bring those who don't know Christ to Christ. Evangelism exists where worship does not. That is, we take the gospel to every person in every place where they are not currently ascribing to the Lord the glory due His name. And the service that we render in meeting the needs of people as we proclaim the gospel, that service now must point to the character, the glory of God. We're talking about being a full-service church. We're talking about serving all sorts of human needs. Most importantly, spiritual needs. But as we carry out that ministry, that service, whether of material needs or spiritual needs, since it is to be done for the purpose of bringing glory to God, that service must always point to the character of our God. And so I want to give you four principles related to our service and the glory of God. They're not in your outline. If you care about them, you can write them down. If you don't have something to write with, you can listen later. 
online. But let me give you these four with an explanation of each. First, service must display the character of God. Our ministry, our service, synonyms, right? Ministry, service, same thing. Service or ministry must display the character of God. And you all have learned, if you've been around for any length of time with us, that the character qualities of God, which are many, can be placed into two categories. Those categories are variously named by theology books. Sometimes called his, one category is called his incommunicable attributes. That is, these are character qualities of God that cannot be communicated, not, cannot be shared with his creatures. They belong to God alone. And then the other category would be his communicable attributes. The character qualities that God does share with his creatures. So his incommunicable attributes would be things like his sovereignty, his omnipotence, his omniscience. You can't be any of those. But his communicable attributes would include things like his love, his mercy, his grace, his truth, his faithfulness. These are all things that in some measure can be displayed in the creatures that are made to reflect his image. They're sometimes called the attributes of his greatness and those of his goodness. And we can't display the attributes of His greatness. We simply praise Him for those. But we praise Him for His goodness and in turn we display that to those that we are called to serve. When we serve others, we show the mercy and grace and love and compassion of our God. When we serve others, we're showing, friends, what God is like. And in doing that, we counteract misconceptions about what God is like. And there are many. Some have come to believe that God is cruel or uncaring or that He's detached from the plight of His creatures. And when we serve as God's hands and eyes and His feet, we show that He very much cares and that He responds and that He is present. Now, just as an aside, because our service, and really everything we do for that matter, must display the character of God, then the way we do it, how we do it, matters. Remember, the objective is to the glory of God, to display the character of God. So now, how I do it, not just that I do it, not just that the job gets done, but rather the way I go about it matters. It's not only about helping people, it's about displaying God. So in the way we go about mercy ministries, or in the way we go about our worship when we gather together, whatever we do, we must do so in a way that accurately communicates what God is like. And keeping that in mind, friends, in everything we do, everything we do in our individual lives, everything we do in the corporate life of our church, keeping in mind that it matters how we do it because it's about the character of God, the glory of God. That will in turn tether us to God, tether us to His Word, and keep us from drifting into worldly approaches to ministry. 
Heaven knows we do not need in American evangelical Christianity more worldly approaches to ministry. And the thing that will tether us to God and to His Word is remembering that it's not ultimately about the results, it's ultimately about the display of God's character. Service must display the character of God. Secondly, Service must explicitly display the character of God. Now, what I mean by that is, when we serve people, when we do stuff for people of whatever type, we're serving, and we're showing mercy, and we're showing grace, and we're thus displaying what God is like. But the person who is the recipient of that largesse, that, that benevolence, that service, that ministry on our part, does not automatically know that. They need to be told that. They need to be told that we're doing this, but here's why we're doing this. Service must explicitly display the character of God. Our service is more than mere humanitarianism. It's more than meeting temporal needs. It must be specifically, intentionally designed to point people to the character of God. This weekend, Friday and Saturday, I was able to be out of state and speak at a men's retreat. And during breakfast, uh, I was sitting with a brother and getting to know him. And he works at a body shop and does car repair and that kind of thing. He owns it. And he was telling me about how he got into that business. And he was telling me that one of the great blessings for him in that business, and he was not bragging in the way he said this, was that from time to time he's able to just give his services to someone and to see their face when he says no charge what no charge but then he is careful to say Jesus Christ has blessed me and now I am blessing you in Jesus name explicitly pointing to the source of our blessing it is not about just humanitarianism in general. It is about the character of God, the glory of God. And so Jesus said, anyone who gives a cup of water, but notice, a cup of water in my name, because he belongs to Christ, will certainly not lose his reward. As God blesses this church with a service center, a ministry center, and we become a full-service church, there will be the ever-present temptation, friends, for the service to be the end in itself. But the service is the means to the end of displaying the character of God and pointing people to the Lord Jesus. Service must display the character of God. It must explicitly do so. And thirdly, service must be for the glory of God. Our service must be for God's glory. The Bible is very clear that all things are about the display and then the worship of the display of God's character. Romans 11:36 from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. And famously, we are told in 1 Corinthians, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory 
of God. And so when I say here now, service must be for the glory of God, that means that the service we render is not first about the good of the recipient. It's not primarily, firstly, about the good, the well-being of the one who receives it. It's about that, but not first, and not primarily. See, some people say, and when you first hear it, it, it sounds right, but I just want to nuance it a bit for you so that I think we will have a more biblical perspective. Sometimes folks will say, humanity has intrinsic worth. Hmm, you, need to, that's, you need to think about that. God has intrinsic worth. God is worth. God is worthy. God is valuable simply because he's God. And God did not get that worth, acquire, obtain that worth from anyone or anything, right? In the beginning, God. We have, and I think it would be more accurate for us to think of it this way, we have derivative worth. Our worth is derived from the fact that we are made in the image of this God who is infinitely worthy. And so... If I show you a picture of my wife or my children, and, we, and you look at that picture, and I can say, they are of infinite worth to me. And I can say that truly. But the paper is just the representation of the real deal. The paper's not worth much at all. The paper derives worth. If you go and tear that, if you go and break it, if you mar that paper, I'm going to be upset with you. Why? Not because the paper's worth much, but because what it represents is, is worth an infinite amount to me. That paper derives worth from what it represents. We derive worth from the one we represent who has intrinsic value. God is always most important. And so, there is a phrase in ministry, and as far as it goes, it's all good, that says, people matter to God. We do what we do because people matter to God. But you have to move back one step from that. Why is it that people matter to God? Because God matters to God. Okay, I know it's early in the morning. But God made people because His glory matters to Him. And He made people in His image to, you hear me say this all the time, right? Reflect Him back to Him. And so we do this because God is intrinsically worthy and then He in turn has made creatures, marvelous creatures, humanity, made in His image to now reflect Him uniquely back to Him as no other creature can. And they derive, we derive marvelous value from the fact that He is of infinite value. Service must display the character of God. It must explicitly do so. It must be for the glory of God, primarily and firstly. And then fourth, service is to result 
in praise to God. It's to result in praise to God on the part of the recipient. That's our hope. Because, remember, we're going to be explicit about why we're doing this. In Jesus' name. We're going to give the good news of Jesus and the fact that you can have a relationship with the God who made you, as I do, and the reason for which I'm doing this on your behalf. You can have that through the good news of the gospel message. We give the gospel message, and it's our hope and our prayer that there'll be a response, a positive response on the part of the recipient that results in their praise of God. But of course, we can't guarantee that, can we? We don't know how they'll respond. We don't know whether they'll respond positively or not. But whether the recipient responds to the gospel or not, God should be praised by the servant. Praised for the opportunity to display his character, to be his ambassador. Whether or not the thing worked in the sense that the person came to Jesus and is now a worshiper rather than a rebel, we can't control that. But it's designed to result in praise to God, whether on the part of the recipient or as well and always on the part of the servant. Now this means that if it's designed to result in praise to God, then conversely that means it does not result in praise to us. Not to the servant. You remember on the cover of our program for our celebration dinner last week? The verse we had? Psalm 115 and verse 1. Not to us. Not to us. But to your name be the glory. It is to give praise to God. And it means then that it's not to be praised for the servant. And God is very very jealous for his glory. He says through Isaiah, I will not give my glory to another. God is glorified when people see the Lord and not the servant. And all of us, and especially those of us that are involved in public ministry, those of us who are seen by men, we have to ask ourselves all the time, for whom am I doing this? For whose glory, for whose honor, for whose praise am I doing this? One exercise that I started a lot, many years ago, a mental exercise for myself, and I recommend it to those of you that are involved in public ministry, is to ask yourself whether or not, if it were possible, for there to be a screen where nobody knew who you were, as you taught, as you preached, as you sang, whatever it is you're doing in public ministry. Nobody knew who you were. And nobody's ever going to know who you are. Would you still do it with all of the might that God has given you? With all of the strength, with all of the, the study, with all of the preparation? If no one knew your name, other than for the Lord God to be pleased. We serve not with eye service as men pleasers, 
says Colossians 3. Because we remember it's the Lord God we are serving. God is glorified when people see the Lord and not the servant. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they see your good works. And then what's the response? They see your good works, but they glorify your Father in heaven. And so servants, ministers, all, that includes all of us in whatever capacity, we have to decide if we're going to be a servant or a celebrity. Whether we will magnify Christ or promote ourselves. Philippians chapter 1, Paul speaks of those who are in ministry for impure motives, to promote themselves. He's thankful that the gospel goes forward, but he recognizes that those folks will not receive the intended reward. And often we don't understand our own motives. And therefore, friends, it's possible for any of us to be in Christian service for reasons other than the glory of the Lord. Some people are involved in ministry for personal gain. Just turn on cable TV. Second thought, take my word for it. And don't turn on cable TV. Or they might relish the authority that goes with a position in ministry. Or the recognition that often goes with those associated with ministry. Or maybe enjoying the opportunity to display their talents and all of the abilities that they have. You know, there are a number of tests that you could use to, to figure this out. I gave you one. Would I do it just as well with as, with as much excellence if nobody knew who I was? Ask yourself that, especially if you're in public ministry. But, but here's another one. You know, what if, what if somebody else in ministry with you is getting praised and getting credit? How do you respond to that? Hey, wait a minute. That's my ministry. Did you hear the phrase? That's my ministry. Whose ministry is it? Whose church is this? In whatever capacity you're involved in, whose is it? It belongs to Jesus. God is glorified when people see the master rather than the minister. The moderator of a Presbyterian church in Australia many years ago gave J. Hudson Taylor a flattering introduction. J. Hudson Taylor was the founder of China Inland Mission, many of you know. And after that flowery introduction, he stepped into the pulpit and he quietly said, Dear friends, I'm the little, little servant of an illustrious master. The late A.W. Tozer once was once presented to a congregation in a similar flowery manner. And his response was, all I can say is, dear God, forgive him for what he said and forgive me for enjoying it so much. God is jealous for his own glory. And all that he does in his world is designed to display his character to his creatures, to his creation. And all that we do in ministry is likewise designed to display the character of our God. And so, friends, we need to remember that our service is always about 
the glory of God. It must explicitly be so. And never about the servant. Now, over the next few months, if God is willing, our church is going to be able to transition into a fuller, I'll call it a fuller service church. Not only having many, many people involved in ministry, but now having many more opportunities for ministry as we obtain a service center, a ministry center. And this issue of our reasons, our motivations for why we do what we do is going, is, must be kept at the forefront of our thinking and our ministry. By God's grace, I'm going to try to keep that in front of you regularly. As we reach out to this community in a myriad number of ways that I've shared with you over the years, we'll be regularly reminded that we're pointing people to the Lord Jesus, that we are also always explicitly doing so, that it is not about our own praise and our own glory or how cool our church is, but about displaying the character of our God. You say, what transforms somebody from being a selfish servant to a selfless servant? And I'd like to conclude with that. What transforms those of us who are by nature selfish servants to being selfless servants? And the answer to that is the gospel of Jesus. I mean, think about what the good news is. The good news is that our God, the Lord Jesus, though he were rich for our sakes, he became poor. The good news is that the Lord Jesus Christ, though he were God, did not consider equality with God something to be held on to, Philippians chapter 2. But he took on himself the form of a servant, servant, and he became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. And who is it that the Lord Jesus is glorifying in doing that? To the praise of the glory of God the Father. The good news is God the Son giving all that he is for the glory, for the praise of God the Father. And we likewise, who have been transformed by the message of the gospel, are to give all that we are for the glory of our God. Only those who have come to God through the message of the gospel can go from selfless servants to selfish servants to selfless servants of our God. So I ask you to do what I've had to do for myself as I prepare for this. Examine yourself, dear servant of God. Examine your motivation. And for any of you who have never come to God through Jesus Christ, I offer you that opportunity now to acknowledge who you are. You are like me, like all of us. You came into this world selfish. Jesus will transform you into selfless. Acknowledge that you have sinned and are thus separated from God. And recognize that Jesus has done for you what you couldn't do for yourself. He's died for you on the cross. He lived a perfect life on your behalf. And you come to him simply by, when we bow in just a moment, from your heart to God, 
acknowledging, Lord, I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus is the Savior from my sin. I ask you to forgive me. Take my life. I repent. I want to follow you now. I want to go your way and not my way. He promises to deliver you from your selfishness and to embark on a life of selfless service for his glory. Let's pray together.